Welcome back, everybody, to the Double Double here on KLJX LP Flagstaff. I'm your host, Casey Ever, with my co-host, Chad. And we're also here with our basketball guru, Chris. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Doing good. It's a wonderful day outside. Yes, definitely. So we're going to jump straight into it. We're going to talk about the NBA Finals that just wrapped up. The Lakers win the series 4-2. to two. LeBron wins final as MVP. Um, what, Chad, what do you think about the whole series? Um, this was a – it was kind of a boring series to watch for a couple games, but Jimmy Butler gave us some heroic moments. And, of course, LeBron James and AD were just too much for the Heat in the end. The Heat were battling through injuries with Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic. And the, the Heat were just outnumbered. The Lakers were the better team. They deserved the win. They were the best team throughout the whole playoffs, best team throughout the whole bubble. Hats off to them. Congratulations. And LeBron needs his respect. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and Lakers going through that, like I'm not a Lakers fan, but being from California, you can hear, you can like feel the buzz around everything. Like the Lakers are back on top. So it was kind of cool to see that uh, come into fruition again and kind of get back to the olden days. And it was definitely one of those finals that it was the Lakers to lose. They wanted it so bad. Uh, they wanted to play for Kobe and everything that's happened this year, and they just pulled it out. So, uh, going to you, Chris, what do you think about this series? Man, what can I say? I, I just, you know, I've been saying this since literally 2019. We were going to win, you know, at least not. I thought it was going to be against the Bucks. But I mean, the series, the final series, it was it was a boring it was a boring series. You can't beat LeBron James and Anthony Davis in seven games. There's just no way. But like you said, Chad, Jimmy Butler did have his moments, and he carried the Heat team. But I mean, LeBron James is a king, and he's not the Wash King. So give him his respect. Yeah, and. I definitely agree with you on that. Trying to beat a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, both top five players in the NBA, is always going to be hard. And they got key contributions from KCP and Rajon Rondo. And they just looked like they wanted that last game. They're up as much as 30 and like at the, in the third quarter. And by that time, we all knew it was kind of over. And it was like kind of depressing. But at the same time, it was like we all knew it was going to happen. It almost seemed like the Heat – were better without Gorgon Dragic and Bam Adebayo at some point. So Jimmy Butler tried to wield it, his way to that title, but it just wasn't going his way. But going to you, Chad, being the surprising team and the underdog of this playoffs, the Heat, what do you think they need to do in the offseason to try and win it all for next year? Um, the Heat are definitely a team on the up, I think. They kind of were an outsider looking in the past several years, ever since that uh, D-Wade, Chris Bosh, and LeBron era when Miami won two rings in those four years that they were there. But, I mean, they finally got a superstar they've been looking for. They finally got someone that fits the Miami Heat culture and Jimmy Butler, a guy that works his butt off night in, night out, has his players back, is all about grinding, all about winning, just will do anything it takes both offensively and defensively. And they, they made some right draft picks. They got a good young star in Tyler here. We saw him erupt in the Eastern Conference Finals for 37 points. We saw him have some big moments in the finals. And the undrafted rookie in Duncan Robinson popped off for 26 points in their, I believe it was the game five win that the Heat got. 
So they have some future to build around. Bam Adebayo is looking like a future all-star, looking like a future 20-plus 20, 20 point per game, 10-rebound type of player. He's only going into his fourth season. And if they get Goran Dragic back, he'll be healthy for next year. Expect to make a full recovery. So they have a lot to build on. The Heat have become one of the more premier uh, free agent destinations in the East now after watching this team make this run, make this inspirational run, kind of all team-oriented, head coach-based. So they'll definitely be able to land another superstar. They have enough cap room. Their salary is not maxed up because they have young players and stuff. So I definitely think this Heat team is on the up. If they can sign like a – not like a max contract guy, but if they can get someone under that, like maybe a Chris Paul who has two years left on this deal or maybe just another key free agent that can help them score. Yeah, definitely. And they're, they're such an exciting team to watch and it's their young talent. And they also have like Kendrick Nunn, who was really good this year too. He was undrafted, I believe as well. They just keep getting these undrafted guys that keep pulling out for them. And it's, it's actually awesome to watch like Duncan Robinson. Nobody's ever heard of him. And now he's probably one of the best shooters in the NBA. Nobody even knew about him. And then Tyler Hero exploding, and he's only 20 years old. So he's only going to get better. He's going to work on his game. So the future is definitely looking bright for the Heat. Uh, going on to you, Chris, what do you think the Heat need to do? Um, I just think they need someone in the middle, you know, someone who can get rebounds because you can't win a game getting out rebounding every game, you know. Even if you're winning the, uh, the Eastern Conference, that's the Eastern Conference. The Western Conference has guys who will rebound, who will rebound the ball, and who will, you know, play harder than that. The only thing they mess up in, they have they have three point shooters. They need like a Giannis, someone to give them that presence in the inside. You know, someone who can, you know, like even like a Hassan Whiteside. He was even playing good for the for the um for the Trailblazers. They they just need someone in the middle because to help Bam Adebayo to help Kelly Olenek, they, they need someone who can rebound the ball and who's big and who who's athletic, you know? And that's, they look good next year, but that's all they need to get better. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I was like, I always play like 2K and stuff like that. And you always think like, damn, if I move Bam out of bio to the power forward and then get a center, like Bam's athletic enough to move to the power forward and be totally fine. Like he he'll average... 19, 20 points, 10 boards still, and still give you like that five to six assists. So he can literally do everything on the court. If he improves his shooting a little bit, I think him being a power forward, he's athletic enough that he can do that. And getting a guy like Hassan Whiteside, who is a free agent this year, might solidify that team. I don't know if he'd want to go back to the Heat, but if they did get him, they kind of pushed Hassan out when Bam was coming through. So it might be interesting to see if they actually do go for a big man um, or trade for a guy like Brooke Lopez or something like that that's still on contract that can spread the floor and plays good defense. I think he got all defensive team this year. So maybe a guy like that would improve their offense and defense and then make him a championship caliber team. So you never know. But going on to you, Chad, Jimmy Butler, amazing playoff run. By game six, you could tell he was just exhausted. He put up a season or a playoff low in 12 points. He just didn't look like himself out there. What do you think happened? I think it was just fatigue kicking in. I mean, the two games that the Heat won in the series was because he just went absolutely off. I mean, he had the near, he had the 40 point triple double in game three, and then he 
Did he have a triple double in game five? Or I'm pretty sure he was either he super was either close. pretty close or he had one. Yeah. yeah. But long story short, he went he went off. I mean, Duncan Robinson showed out with 26 points, which he's usually giving you eight points a, like a game on nightly average. So when he pops up, you kind of just expect to win that game. But I mean, Jimmy was doing everything in those two games. For him to do that in like four out of seven games against LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Rajon Rondo, this good Lakers team, it's just not going to happen. I mean, the Heat don't have any other star power besides Jimmy Butler. When LeBron's tired, you can throw it into Anthony Davis. LeBron could even take a seat on the bench. Rondo can run the offense. But Jimmy Butler in game five, he played, I believe it was, he played the entire game except like a little over a minute, which is just ridiculous. I mean, you saw the guy walking off the podium after his press conference, post-game press conference, and he was just like limping. You can tell like he just fought a war in Iraq or something. Like the guy was, he was just fatigued, tired, tired of doing everything, body was hurt, and just ultimately ran out of gas, which was unfortunate. He gave it a hell of a run, hell of a series, and hell of a playoff run. To, I mean, I tip my hat to Jimmy Butler on this one for sure. Yeah, he had an amazing series. You have to give credit where credit's due. Jimmy Butler is an amazing player. At the end of the day, he tried. And, like, going against a team like Anthony Davis and LeBron James and having co-stars, too, to kind of lift that team up really helped, like, the Lakers get past him. And also moving Anthony Davis onto Jimmy Butler kind of made it hard for him to do a lot of things, too. So it – Overall, Jimmy Butler tried his hardest. You could tell he was just exhausted by the end of that game. But going on to you, Chris, was it the fatigue that just kicked in? Or, like, what do you think of the overall performance of Jimmy Butler in this series? Look, we're talking about LeBron needs his damn respect. Give Jimmy Butler his damn respect. If you could put AD – if you have to put AD on Jimmy Butler to contain Jimmy Butler, what, what is Jimmy Butler, like a shooting guard, small four? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, like, Jimmy Butler had a triple-double, a 40-point triple-double. I mean, that's – LeBron only – you know, LeBron is, like, the only, like, the top five people to do that, you know? I mean, you could tell every game Jimmy Butler was tired. He was playing defense. He was racking up steals, you know? I don't know if anyone could say Jimmy Butler had a bad series. He just needed more help, you know? But they don't have to do anything. You know, Jimmy Butler just needs someone who can, you know – be in the inside, you know, who can grab rebounds, you know, kick it out, you know, he's right there, but they just need to do, I don't the, the he need to do a better job of rebounding the ball and, and containing offensive rebounds because that's really what killed them in the series. I mean, they had everything else. They had three-point shooters, Tyler Hero. They had Duncan Robinson, you know, everybody was shooting the three ball, but if you can't control the paint, you know, it's just, you can't win, but Jimmy Butler, he did what he needed to do, and he, he has everyone's respect now. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that, and going into it, everybody was kind of like, I don't know if Jimmy Butler is kind of like that superstar player anymore, or like even at all, and I think this playoff run really proves to him and people watching basketball that he is indeed a superstar, and he can carry a team to the finals, and he's willing to carry a team to the finals, even if it means being like having all these bumps, bruises, being sore, like going through all of fatigue. I think he's, yeah, he needs his damn respect as well. But going into that, Chad, what do you what do you think of LeBron's comment about wanting his damn respect? I think it's overdue. I mean, this guy has been to 10 finals. He went to eight straight finals. 
I mean, wherever he goes, he wins. He can go to a new team, instantly win. The only reason the Lakers didn't make the playoffs last year is because LeBron was hurt half the year. If he was healthy, they probably would have had a four or five seed in the West. Who knows if they would have won it? I mean, you can never count out LeBron. But it's well overdue. I mean, this guy is – it's neck and neck with him and Jordan for the GOAT conversation. You could ask 100 people. You could get 100 different reasons why Jordan might be the GOAT, 100 different reasons why LeBron might be the GOAT. But, I mean, his fourth NBA championship, his fourth finals MVP, the guy just does everything. He's always in the finals. He's always winning. He doesn't have the regular season MVPs, but who cares? He has four rings, probably about to get one or two more, especially if the Lakers re-sign AD, maybe add a couple more pieces. But, like I said, it's well overdue. I mean, this guy's going to go down as probably the best player of all time. Yeah, and I totally agree with you. I think – I, when I was watching it and when I heard that, I was just like, damn, like, I'm glad he said that because a lot of people take LeBron's greatness for granted. And it's just like with any person that's in the GOAT conversation with any sport and you kind of think about it, like, while he's playing, you kind of like, damn, okay, LeBron, we have to play LeBron. Oh, I hate LeBron. But dude, he needs his damn respect by now. He, like you said, he's been to 10, 10 finals, eight straight, and like you said, he could have gone to the playoffs last year if, like, even if he if he didn't get hurt and Lonzo got hurt as well, and Lonzo and him played super well together. So maybe if they didn't both get hurt around the same time, I think they were, like, the fourth seed by that point. I think they were. So, yeah, LeBron James is going to go down as one of the greatest players of all time, and it's well overdue. But, Chris, going on to you, what do you think about his damn respect? I just don't understand people's uh, analysts, you know. Like, he averages a triple-double in the playoffs. I mean, he's done it with the Heat. He's even done it with Cleveland and to the Lakers. I mean, he's given teams three different championships. Eric Spolster knows because he was coaching the Heat at that time. He knew he was in trouble. All I'm saying is LeBron James is going to be the greatest of all time, and he's still doing this at 35 years old. I mean, there's nothing you can say about it after this championship. I mean, you have AD but he's still averaging triple-doubles, um, double-doubles. He's, he's doing everything. It's his fourth MVP. So I honestly think we're going to two-peat again. That's what I do. Yeah, I totally agree with you. This team is scary going forward, and I can't wait to see what they do. Hopefully, uh, Anthony Davis resigns. I'm sure he will after winning a championship with LeBron. They seem like they have great chemistry, but that's going to wrap up this first part of this segment. We'll be right back, and we're going to go right into NBA free agency now that the season's over. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Double Double. We just had a great conversation about the NBA Finals. We had some great talk conversation about LeBron James winning his fourth championship and his fourth Finals MVP, and Jimmy Butler doing everything he can, but it was a little short. But we're going to move on now that it's the offseason. We're going to talk about NBA free agency. So I'm going to jump right to you, Chad. What is one player or one move that you're looking for in the free agency that's kind of under the radar or not under the radar that might help a team push themselves the next season? So for me, I'm going to have to start out with the Golden State Warriors. And I think one move that they need to make is they need to get a big man. They, they were on top for five or so years, winning three championships. They fell off this year. Stephen Curry was out the whole year. Klay Thompson was recovering from a torn ACL from game six of the NBA Finals. So those two were out the whole year. Draymond Green was banged up. They had the worst record in the league, ended up getting the number two draft pick. But long story short, they lost Kevin Durant, who helped them win two NBA titles. 
unbelievable player, but he's now gone in Brooklyn. They have a serious rival in the West now, the Los Angeles Lakers, even the Clippers, and some would say even the Nuggets after watching what they did in this past playoffs. So they, they need a big man, and I was reading up on it, and one move that they were kind of interested in was getting Aaron Gordon from the Orlando Magic, and I think this would be a great move for them because in this, this era of the NBA, the big men have to be able to switch. Teams run pick and roll over 50% of the time in the NBA when they come down on offense. You have to be able to switch almost one through five, not like the Rockets in small ball where they switch their guards on centers and stuff, but being able to have a guy like Aaron Gordon who can guard perimeter guards, even switch on to a LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard. He's very athletic. I mean, we've seen him in the dunk contest. He's a power forward, can stretch the floor, will give him great versatility on offense. And I mean, you pair him up with the best shooting duo of all time in Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson. And they have Andrew Wiggins. He's no Kevin Durant, but he's still a solid small forward. And of course, Draymond Green, who does all the dirty work for that team. And plus, they still own the number two pick. So they could draft James Wiseman, that center out of Memphis, let him kind of work his way into the league, get a little stronger. And who knows, maybe plug him into the starting lineup. But the Warriors definitely need to get a big man. And I think Aaron Gordon or possibly James Wiseman could be the, one of those answers. Yeah, I definitely, if they do trade that number two pick, I most likely I want to see a guy come in that can, I don't want to see Giannis go, of course, but I want to see the Warriors kind of build like a lineup. Kind of, It's not really small ball, but still it's an athletic team. To, like end of the day, if they do get Aaron Gordon, super athletic, Andrew Wiggins, super athletic, like Steph Curry and Clay will do their thing regardless. It doesn't matter who they're playing with. So I think that's a very interesting move. Um, going on to you, Chris, what uh, NBA free agents are you looking at and what team? Um, honestly, let's talk about the Heat again because I was talking about a big man. I really want Giannis to get a ring. If he can link up with Jimmy Butler and the Heat, that would be amazing to watch. I mean, look at look how much cap space that he have. They could sign like two max players. So I would get, I would try to get Giannis because he's an athletic big and he would fit great in their scheme because it was something, but uh, I think that he has like, they could only have like 5% body fat or something like that. And Giannis <laughs> has zero. So I think they should get Giannis and like sign the Aaron Gordon, another, another shooter. And, and they will be good for the finals again. Yeah, I totally agree. If they were be like able to pull off a trade for Giannis, I just it's just kind of hard. They'd have to give up a bunch of first round picks. Maybe they'd have to split up Tyler Hero, but it should be interesting if they could get Giannis. Aaron Gordon is definitely in trade rumors right now. So if the he do pull something off like that, they're definitely contenders for next year in the in the East. There's no question. I don't think anybody comes close to them if they do pick up a Giannis. So um, for me, uh, I like seeing young teams do stuff in free agency. We I keep looking at the Pelicans, and Derek Favors is out of contract now, and they need that big man. So I think having a white side come to the Pelicans might be a good move for them. He's a veteran. He rebounds the basketball. Uh, he does everything on the defensive end that you need. He gets blocks, everything. And he'll be a mentor to somebody like Jackson Hayes, which is a super athletic big man. He blocks shots, but he's just he'll, he still needs to learn the game a little bit. And I think a guy like Hassan Whiteside will um, help the Pelicans out. 
Um, they're still looking for a coach right now, but I think with the starting lineup, Alonzo Ball, Drew Holiday, Brandon Ingram, Zion, and Hassan Whiteside, that could be a team that could be a really good team moving forward in the Western Conference. It's just super athletic, super big, um, having like a six-point six guard. Drew Holiday does everything on the defensive end. Brandon Ingram, they need to tie up. He's a restricted free agent, so they need to tie him up. But, yeah, if they can pull that off and get a Hassan Whiteside to fill Derek Favors' spot, then I think the Pelicans could be moving on and being either like a six or seven seed next year and maybe even higher, just depending on the growth of people like Lonzo Ball and all their young talent. But, yeah, another question for you, Chad. If you could trade any person right now that needs to get away, who are you looking at? Like that just needs to get away from their team and start over. Um, for I, I'm going to say this because the team needs it more so than the player does. And I'm going to say Oklahoma City Thunder need to move Chris Paul. And I mean, he is the third highest. He has the third highest salary in the NBA. He's 36 years old. He has two years left on his contract. You can tell that the Thunder. They're about to go on a rebuilding mode. They shocked everyone this year by making the uh, four seed in the West, losing to the Rockets in seven games. They fired their coach, and they just got a buttload of picks for trading Paul George. They have two great young guards and Dennis Schroeder, who was finalist for sixth man of the year. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is only in his second year, already a stud. And they just have no room for Chris Paul. There's no point of paying him $40 million a year. They could trade him to maybe Miami, they could trade him to maybe the Bucks to pair him up with Giannis, get some more picks in return, get a couple younger guys, free up some cap space. They'll probably eventually move Steven Adams to then go big on a couple free agents in the coming years and make a run. I mean, with as many picks as they have, the future's definitely looking bright for them, but they just got to move that contract. There's just no point. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Chris Paul, like, of course it worked this year and we never thought it would work, but they need to move on. He's making way too much money at his age and he deserves it. Don't get me wrong, but he needs to get into a championship like atmosphere. If he does move to somebody like the Bucks, that puts them even higher as a contender because they have somebody to give Giannis that kind of break and kind of spread the floor a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I think Chris Paul definitely needs to move away, not only for the Thunder's sake, but also for Chris Paul's sake. So I think that's a good thing. Good thing. Yeah, especially if he wants to get a ring before yeah. he retires. Exactly. Uh, going on to you, Chris, who do you think – who's one player that you would like to see move or needs to move? Um, I would like to see Giannis move and um, Ben Simmons. I say Giannis because you have two MVPs and you still haven't even been to the NBA Finals. So that's why I say just leave before you injure something or tear something, you know. And then Ben Simmons – Honestly, I just feel like Joel B doesn't like him. I just feel like Joel B like, I feel like they're, like, they're both fed up, you know? So one of them has to go. So. Yeah. I think if the, if the Philadelphia 76ers do trade Ben Simmons, they need to go after LaMelo Ball. That's the only thing that I'm like, if they, if they do trade him, they need to get somebody like LaMelo Ball to come in, in the draft and try and get him because he'll, He'll bring a spark back to the 76ers, new coach in Doc Rivers. I think that's a great move um, going forward for the 76ers. But that's going to wrap up our first segment. I'd like to thank Chris for coming on. 
And after this, we'll be back and we're going to talk football. So we'll be right back after this break. All right, guys, welcome back to the Double Double here on KLJX LP Flagstaff. We just got done talking mad football, talking about Dak Prescott's horrific injury and the biggest upsets of the week for the NFL, which was a very close week, but very upsetting week for some teams. But we're going to jump right into it. It's just me and Chad now, and we're going to go right into the MLB playoffs. The playoffs, the divisional series ended. The Atlanta Braves moved on. The Dodgers obviously moved on. The Astros and the Rays. Um, all these teams I can see going to the World Series except for one team, and that's the Astros for me. I don't like the Astros, especially what's happened. But, Chad, what did you make of uh, the divisional series for you being a Padres fan and all? Um, it was exciting. I mean, it was a bummer getting swept by the Dodgers 3-0. But, I mean – our top pitcher, Mike Clevenger, went down in game one. He gave it his all, tried to come back early, pitched one-plus innings. It was exciting. Gave us hope. Gave us a possibility to take a 1-0 series lead. I mean, he left it all on the field. Unfortunately, we lost that game. Game two was ridiculous. Cody Bellinger ripped our hearts out with robbing Fernando Tatis Jr. of that two-run homer. I mean, and then... Padres give up two runs. They're down 6-3 in the ninth inning. Jansen comes in. You think it's over. The Padres continue the battle, get a couple extra base hits, back-to-back -back walks, loads the bases with two outs, down by one. And unfortunately, Eric Cosmic grounds out to end the game. And then the Padres just get absolutely obliterated in game three, 12-3. You could, you could tell that game two took all the wind out of them, took all the sails out. They wanted any hope. They needed that game. Being down 2-0 to a dominant team like the Dodgers wasn't where they wanted to be. But all in all, I'm proud of my team. Looking forward to the future. Hopefully we get Mike Clevenger and Nelson Lamette back for next year. Who knows, maybe sign a guy like Trevor Bauer, bolster that starting rotation and make another run. I mean, the future's bright. They're going to most likely sign Fernando Tatis to an extension this offseason. So the Padres definitely have a lot to be proud of and are moving in the right direction for once in a long time. Yeah, I totally agree with you. That team is exciting. And you can't say anything about like bad about the Padres. Like they put it all on the field every single game. They're an energy-based team and they're just exciting to watch. And I'm like, I've never thought about being a Padres fan or anything, but just watching them, how explosive, explosive, like literally everybody on their team is, they're exciting for the future. And I can't wait to watch them in the next couple of years and, they're going to make playoff runs for the next couple of years. And I'm excited to watch that. And yeah, they need us. They need to tie Tatis up, make sure he's there for a while. Um, yeah. Tatis is huge for you guys. So I'm excited for the Padres. I think it's going to be a good couple of years for you guys. And it's exciting to see. Um, also moving on the. In, in a way, last, last thing to add, I'm kind of glad the Padres didn't win a world series this year because not being able to go to any games at Petco, not being able to be a part of that postseason run is, would kind of be a kicker at the same time as it would be nice to win a World Series, of course, but that that stadium, that city needs it. I mean, after they beat the Cardinals in the division or the wild card series, coming back and winning game two and three, all of downtown was packed. I mean, the fans are going nuts. I mean, the Padres win the World Series, they're probably going to need the National Guard because of how crazy downtown San Diego is going to go. But oh, yeah. like you said, the future is definitely bright. So we'll just have to keep our fingers crossed moving forward. 
Yeah, exactly. And then we get on to the Braves versus the Marlins. It was an easy series for the Braves, honestly. Let's get it. Let's just put it out there. It was going to be easy from the get-go. I think the Marlins got a little lucky with going against the Cubs and sweeping them. But, dude, this Braves team is scary. And they they don't even have their full uh, pitching rotation right now. So just imagine when Mike Soroka comes back next year. But they're, they're, they're a good team, man. And I'm excited to watch them, too, because Ronald Acuna, Albies, Freeman, they have so many bats. It's ridiculous. They're kind of like the Dodgers, just not their their bullpen's a lot worse than the Dodgers, but they have that same caliber lineup as the Dodgers. So it's I like the way that the Dodgers are playing against the Braves. I think it's deserved that the Braves are playing the Dodgers. They're the two best teams coming out of the NL. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, these are definitely the two best NL teams. The Braves made easy work, like you said, of the Marlins. Hats off to them for making it to the divisional series. No one even thought they were going to make it to the postseason. Everyone thought they were going to be having a top five pick in this next year's MLB draft. But the, under Don Manley, they were definitely a team to team that came out of nowhere. So hats off to them for that. But moving on to the Braves, they made slight work of them. On to the Dodgers. Looked great. Games one and two. Took a commanding 2-0 lead, and they're just getting absolutely obliterated tonight. I believe 15-1 to in game three. But, I mean – it is 15 to one, but at the same time, it is one game. They will still be up two games to one. Kershaw on the mound for game four. So if you're, if you're the Braves, you couldn't ask for being in a better position. I mean, go up 2-0. Starters looked great. Games one and two, Ian Anderson and Max Freed. The bats came alive late to give them, to secure those wins for them. And I mean, the Braves, like you said, great future lined up with a future MVP caliber player in Acuna. Freeman is Freddie Freeman is probably going to win the NL MVP this year. And they got Austin Riley at third, Dansby Swanson, Al Beast, Marcelo Zoom. They just got a great team over there in Atlanta. Yeah, and they're super young still, too, which is super exciting. And looking back, it's kind of like those old Braves teams that we loved watching as a kid with Andrew Jones, Chipper Jones, all those guys, John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's exciting to see Braves baseball back on the map and making a real impact in these playoffs hammer time baby <laughs> but uh, moving on to the al the astros beat the a's which i didn't want to see i thought the a's were going to come back from that series but it looked like the astros were too much they have a lot of playoff experience leading into that series and it, it kind of showed i mean george springer Alex Bregman, like they're just, they've all been there before and it, it just showed. What are your thoughts on that series? Yeah, you hit the nail on the coffin. I mean, the Astros, everyone's been giving them crap all year for the cheating scandal. They finished the year under 500, still made the playoffs. They beat, um, who'd they beat in the first round? The, the twins. twins. That's right. They swept the Twins. Then they moved on, made easy work of the Astros, pardon me, the Athletics, winning that series in four games. But like you said, experience is definitely showing. Guys, Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa, George Springer, um, Jose Altuve, and they're doing this all without losing Garrett Cole in the offseason. Justin Verland has been out 95% of the year. Unfortunately, has to have Tommy John surgery. But experience is just showing. I mean, they've ran into a great Tampa Bay Rays club, but it's definitely somewhere that the Astros, you can hang your head high if they go out in this ALCS. Yeah, and I think even though with all the cheating scandals and everything, 
Like, of course, they're going to be the worst, like the most hated team in baseball. But you got to give it up to them a little bit. I mean, they still made it to the uh, ALCS. So, I mean, they're a great team in and out. They don't need to cheat. They shouldn't have cheated in the first place. They're that good of a team. They didn't need to cheat. But this just proves that they are a good team, even though I hate saying it. Um, but moving on to the Rays versus Yankees, that series was a little bit closer, not quite the series we – well, yeah, I mean, it did go to five games. So the Yankees looked like they were going to come back from that series. I mean, yeah, I I was thinking that the Yankees were going to come back. Their bats were finally starting to look alive again, especially in game four when they they won 5-1. And then it was a pitching duel in game five, 2-1, low-scoring game. Give me your thoughts on that series. Um, to me, it's all about New York starting pitching. I mean, Garrett Cole started game one. Yankees bats got hot, won that game nine to three. And it's because you got a quality start from Garrett Cole. You go up in the series 1-0. There's no off day. So Garrett Cole, theoretically, unless he wants to pitch on short rest, which he doesn't like to do, would not start until game five, which would still be short rest. And, I mean, Tanaka did not pitch well. The Yankees had to use their bullpen for a bullpen game for game three and four, I believe so, which both games the Rays ended up winning. And so, I mean, the Yankees just need more starting pitching. In the playoffs, it's impossible to rely on your offense to score 10 runs, eight runs, seven runs to win you a ball game like in the regular season. I mean, the regular season, no coach is going to come out and get a reliever every two batters. No coach is going to come out and change pitchers as much as they do in the postseason. And Postseason baseball is just completely different. These guys will go matchup for matchup. They will bring in 10 guys to pitch if that's what it takes to get the win. And especially in the elimination game, Tampa Bay is an unbelievable pitching staff, unbelievable bullpen. And even though they don't have that star name on their team, they have tremendous defense. I mean, you saw catches by Manuel Margot in game two against the Astros where he went into the stands and made an unbelievable catch to end the inning in the second inning. He also had a three-run home run in that game. There was plays in game three versus the Astros in the ALCS where Hunter Renfro made two diving catches to end innings when the Astros were threatening with runners on. So it's, it's a combination of their defense and their pitching has just been getting it done for them. And then timely hitting has been tremendous for the Rays so far. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And it's, it's cool to see because the Rays, they don't have one player on their team that you would solidify as a superstar on their team. Like they have like Austin Meadows, they have Brennan Lau, Margot, Chow. I mean, these guys aren't superstars. We're used to seeing like all these superstars on a team to make it through the playoffs. Like if you go to like, if you compare the Dodgers lineup to the Rays lineup, the Dodgers lineup has superstars one through nine. Like, not like superstars, superstars, but they have quality bats, one through nine. And I bet a lot of people couldn't even name, like, the Rays one through nine batting order, you know? So I think that they're just a collective team in the end, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. And they, I would say they definitely have the best pitching staff remaining in the playoffs. And ultimately, it is shown. I mean, we'll see if they get the sweep tonight. Yeah, definitely. And... I mean, just going back to the Yankees, it's like there's so much pressure on the Yankees. Every year. Every single year. And they have so many good players. Their lineup, dude, 
Voight hit 22 home runs this year. Like, dude, they have so much power going in like one through nine through that lineup. And I talk about one through nine all the time because NL and AL did one through nine this year. But I think it really hurt the Yankees not having those off days. And I think that's what it comes down to. If they would have had those off days, maybe they get more rest and then they were able to pull it off. But in the end, they didn't have these off days. And I think it came down to it. Like Garrett Cole still pitched great in game five. Don't get me wrong. But having no rest really hurts a team. And it just showed that the Rays are more uh, willing and more have more depth to make deep playoff runs. And that shows. Um, but going on to the NLCS and ALCS, the Dodgers are losing to, in the series 2-1. Well, 2-0 as of speaking, but they're winning 15-1 right now. Um, if you're the Braves, what do you do after this game? Um, for me, I just, you just got to tell your team. Uh, we've played three games. If you think of it, if this was best out of three, we would have won the series. We've taken two of the first three. I couldn't ask to be in a better situation other than being up 3-0. But theoretically, being up 2-1 after three games is where 99% of the teams most likely are and most likely would aim for taking two out of those first three. So you just got to tell your guys this is one game. We got blown out. We got embarrassed tonight. But, hey, it's one game. We're still up 2-1. Game four is tomorrow. Let's come back. Tomorrow's a new day, and let's try to take a 3-1 lead. We don't want to let the Dodgers get back in the series, but right now we're still in the driver's seat. We're still in control, and there's nothing to hang our heads on. I mean, just look at it like I've said. Just look at it as one game and just go to sleep. Think about it. Today sucked. Tomorrow's a new day, and let's go win a big league ball game. Yeah, and I'm kind of thinking on the opposite like spectrum. Like, if you're the Dodgers right now, you score 15 runs, you almost come back in the game before. You don't, If you're the Braves, you do not want to see this Dodger offense start to light up. Like, I'm especially with the Braves' bullpen, they only have two, if two, like, quality starters. So if I'm the Braves, I'm like, we need to shut these bats out. And if you're the Dodgers, you want to keep them alive. So – it should be an interesting series moving forward. But Especially with the Dodgers getting Kershaw on the mound on game four. It almost looks like they'll be able to most likely tie it up 2-2, and then from there on out, it's best of three. Yeah, exactly. And it's a, it's going to be a good series. I think it will come down the wire. I mean, you just I don't want to – yeah, I want to see, like, a good series. I, like, the Rays are up 3-0. Let's move on to them. They're up 3-0 right now, losing 1-0 as of recording right now. But this Rays team looks like they're going to make it to the World Series. I mean, no team really comes back from a 3-0, especially in baseball. But you never know. It's baseball in the end of the day. But what do you think about this Rays team and, like, this series overall? Uh, the Rays, they showed their dominance. I was kind of skeptical coming into the series. Thought it would be kind of more even, kind of where probably whoever would win Astros or Rays in six, maybe seven games. But the Rays being up 3-0. Back, going back to what I was saying earlier, their pitching, their defense has been tremendous. And like we mentioned, they don't have that one superstar that's hitting, going three for five with four RBIs on a nightly basis. They have a different guy step up almost every game. They had Marco hit a three-run homer the other day, and they won that ball game like five to one. They've had Hunter Renfro. They just have different guys step up every game, and their defense is off the charts. So I, I'm very impressed with this Rays team, and I definitely think they are a real, real 
World Series contender to whoever comes out of the National League. Yeah, I think this series, I think the Rays definitely deserve it. I mean, they've showed they were the number one seed coming in. They showed their dominance over every team they played in the playoffs. The Yankees was the only scare, and that was the only team that I really saw going and beating the Rays, to be honest with you. So now that the Yankees are out, they're in the driver's seat to make it back to the World Series um, after a little bit of a drought when Evan Longoria was there. That was an exciting team. But, yeah, whoever wins the NL, it's going to be an exciting series. The World Series is going to be good, and I'm, I'm excited to see it. I agree with you. I can't wait for the World Series. I mean, definitely, definitely looks like this NLCS is going to get tighter as the days go on. Hopefully we can get a great series out of that. And for the Rays, that just helps them. The longer these two teams play, we took care of business. We're, our, our guys are going to get rest. Our relievers, our starters, we're going to be as fresh as we can be for the biggest series of the, of the whole year. Yeah. And go back to World Series baseball. I mean, it's that time of year again, so I'm excited for it. Yeah, it's going to be it's definitely a great time. But um, that is going to wrap up this segment here, talking about the MLB playoffs. When we get back from commercial break, I will be moving into my real-life example, so stay tuned. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back, and thank you for tuning in to the Wednesday edition here on the Double Double on KOJX LP Flagstaff. I'm your host alongside my co-host, Casey Everett, and we still have the same two guests with us, Cooper and Noah. We're going to jump right in, back to the NFL, and man, there was a ton of upsets this week. Holy cow, a lot of big teams going down. Both the teams that played in the Super Bowl lost to teams that they None of us thought they would, but um, starting with you, Cooper, what did you think was like the most biggest upset of this week? Um, honestly, so like the most surprising team and the biggest upset, upset, I feel like were two different things this week. I honestly think the biggest upset was the Titans over the Bills. And I, I'm not even saying that just because they won. They like completely just dumped on the Bills. Like they just made them look like a high school team. Like, it was just crazy. But then I think the most surprising NFL team was honestly the Dolphins. Like, I understand that the 49ers, like, they have a bunch of injuries and they have a little bit of Super Bowl hangover. But, like, the Dolphins weren't expected to be great this year. And, yeah, they – same thing with the Titans. Like, they just annihilated the 49ers. So, I think – yeah, I think the biggest upset was that Titans game. But – I think a team that might be on the roll is going to be the Dolphins. Yeah, no one saw that Titans game coming. I mean, they, the Bills were 4-0. They were rolling huge wins, back-to-back weeks coming against um, Las Vegas and then beating the Rams at the end in week three. Coming into that game, the Titans, I mean, they had a ton of, like, all that COVID nonsense game versus twos got postponed. Everyone was kind of like, oh, we hate the Titans now because we can't watch football. They're postponing our games. And then we got this great addition on Tuesday Night Football. And they just completely trashed the Bills ever since the first drive. I mean, Josh Allen threw a couple picks. And then, like you said, the Dolphins, I believe it was 43-17. to 17. The Super Bowl hangover is real. I mean, the Niners are in last place. Unfortunately, got a ton of injuries on defense. But oof, that team does not look like the team we saw a year ago. But throwing it over to you, Noah, what what do you think was like your biggest upset or most surprising team of the week? Yeah, I'm gonna have to go with, of course, I think biggest upset. I'd have to say the the Dolphins over the 49ers, seeing that the 49ers reached the Super Bowl and even in the Super Bowl had such a great lead on, you know, probably the best team in football right now. 
Um, super interesting seeing them just get absolutely just torn apart by the Dolphins was was super interesting. And um, I think if for, for the most surprising game, I'd probably say it was the uh, the Chiefs and the, and the 49 or not the 49ers, sorry, the Raiders game. Because, uh, I mean, the Chiefs, pretty, pretty decent defense, uh, dropping 40 on that defense to get the win over a Patrick Mahomes-led offense is, is really quite surprising. So seeing that the Raiders did that uh, was probably the biggest surprise game to me. Yeah, I mean, Derek Carr went off. He had like 347 passing yards, three TDs. Josh Jacobs piled in two TDs of his own. I mean, the Chiefs were 10.5-point favorites coming into that game, and the Raiders just took it to them in their stadium. I mean, the Raiders were up by 16 with like three minutes left. The Chiefs got a touchdown, and then the Raiders ran out the clock with a huge fourth down conversion. So I definitely agree with you that that was a, definitely a big upset this past week. But, Casey, what about you? Yeah, I think you guys pretty much covered it. But, yeah, the Titans over the Bills, very surprising. We didn't see that coming. The Bills were coming into it, like you said, 4-0. They were looking like a really good team, and, yeah, they just got torched. And then we look at the Dolphins versus 49ers, and, yeah, the hangover is real, dude. It happens in a lot of sports where the, the team that makes it to, like, either the World Series, NBA Finals, they always have, like, a hangover of some sort. Um, maybe the 49ers can get it together. Kind of like the Nationals, huh? Yeah, I don't want to talk about it right now, but yeah, like my nationals, they definitely had a hangover from winning the world series. They partied all the way up till March. So, um, but yeah. And then the Raiders beating the chiefs was very surprising. They were tied going into the fourth quarter. And then after that, the Raiders just took over. So it was a surprising week in football and that's what we want to see. We want to see upsets. We want to see good games. And I think this week was a good week. Yeah, coming into this week, I was looking at the matchups and I was like, wow, this looks like a bunch of terrible games, a bunch of blowouts that are just waiting to happen. Oh, I can't wait. I'm probably not even going to watch. And I was I was glued to my TV. There's a lot of close games I was expecting, a lot of surprising games like the Dolphins, the Raiders, the Titans, a lot of upsets. So it's definitely a entertainment-packed week in the NFL for sure. But, um, Cooper, I'm going to start with you on this one, and we'll talk about this 49ers-Dolphins game real quick. And, my goodness, Jimmy G looked horrendous. After this game, and, I mean, Jimmy G got benched late in the first half. Cooper, if you're the 49ers coach, are you – do you think it's more so Jimmy G coming back from that ankle injury a little too soon, or are you just kind of done with Jimmy G as a whole? Um. So it, this game was a hard game to watch for him. Like, I understand coming back from an injury and everything, but just seeing the difference between him and the second-string quarterback, I forget his name, Nick Mullins or something like that. Um, uh, C.J. Brethard came in. Oh, well. Mullins is also the backup. Too. Yeah. Um, but just seeing those two compared, just one of them is – just Jimmy G is not very confident with throwing the ball and with a bunch of injuries right now, it just, that defense just kind of exposed them and it's not the worst defense in the league, but it's nowhere near the best. So I think, and getting blown out that bad, even though like, yeah, the, all the injuries on the defense, I think Jimmy G isn't their guy or at least Jimmy G. Yeah. Jimmy G isn't their guy. Jimmy G I feel like would be pretty good on other teams that didn't rely a lot on passing, but he just, I feel like he's just not very confident with throwing the ball down the field. Yeah. His down the field throws, like you mentioned, is just not there last year. You could see it 
in the Super Bowl, matter of fact, they had to kind of rely on him after they blew that lead to come back in the game, overthrew a couple guys, ended up throwing a pick at the end of the game. So he, he definitely looks out of sorts. I totally agree with you. But Noah, what about you? What do you make of this whole Jimmy G situation? Go to Chad, back in the Super Bowl, I think they, they got their biggest wake-up moment with Jimmy G, with him showing that he might not be the right guy. <laughs> um, just kind of not being there, not showing that he could step up into that kind of position. I feel like they should have kind of known there that they should maybe be thinking about other quarterbacks, bringing someone else in. Um, and just again, like we've been talking about, you guys hit all the points, just coming in and not doing what he's supposed to be doing as, as, a, as a leading quarterback for the 49ers, who happen to be a very decent team, minus all of the injuries that they've been going through. Um, so, yeah, I really think they should be probably looking somewhere else. Uh, Jimmy G's is not anymore. Yeah, it's kind of like Bill Belichick wins once again. I mean, he, he keeps Brady, trades away Jimmy G, gets a couple picks, whatever the deal was. I can't remember the exact terms. And everyone was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they traded Jimmy G. Jimmy G was supposed to take over after Brady. Well, kind of turns out that Belichick knows what he's doing, gets Cam Newton. I mean, imagine that, that Belichick knows what he's doing. Crazy, crazy thought. But, uh, Casey, over to you. What do you make of this whole Jimmy G situation? Yeah, I think you guys covered a lot of it. And, yeah, he's just proven not to be their guy. I think they do need to move on. Um, they had a good run last year, but in the uh, Super Bowl, it kind of showed a little bit that maybe he's not the guy, like Noah said. And, like you said, they're, like, last place right now, too. Two and – well, yeah, two and three. Maybe they can pull something off. Maybe he comes back and starts looking at film and being like, okay, maybe that's my mistake. But – as an NFL quarterback leading your team, you need to be there in the right moments and step up in the right moments. And I don't think he's doing that right now. So maybe it is time to start shopping, but it's still a long season. We could see him come back. We just don't know right now. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy G, I mean, this last game, seven of 17 in the first half, 77 yards, two picks, a QB Q, quarterback rating of 1.4. A quarterback rating, the max you get is 158.3. So imagine how bad you have to be to get a 1.4. And then his overall rating was a 15.7. Just not a good game out of the kid. Not a good game from the quarterback. I mean, Jimmy G, they're relying on this guy to take him to the next step. Obviously, the defense isn't there to carry them like they did last year. Not looking like the same 49ers team. Is the Super Bowl hangover real? It's looking like it. But before we heard uh, – before we – head into commercial break. Does anyone have any final thoughts about any NFL games from this past week? I think I'm good. Covered most yeah. of it. All right. Well, looks like that's everything from the NFL this past week. We are going to wrap up this segment and head into commercial. When we come back, it will be me and Casey talking about the MLB playoffs. I'd like to thank Cooper and Noah for joining us for this half hour segment. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Double Double here on KLJX LP Flagstaff. And thank you for ju uh, joining us for this last little segment where I'm going to be talking about my real life example. I am your host, Chad Piper, alongside my co-host, Casey Everett. So jumping right into it, we all saw the Los Angeles Lakers take the NBA championship in the bubble. Hats off to them for that. But we all know about the LeBron Jameses, the Anthony Davises, the big name players on the Los Angeles Lakers. But I'm going to be talking about 
uh, kind of a smaller piece of the team, a guy named Dwight Howard, and how his perseverance through the league and through life got him to this point and how it relates to me. Growing up, my dad always preached to me, whatever you do, whether it's art, whether it's singing, music, sports, a journalist, whatever you want to do in life, he always preached to me, never give up. Go to bed at night knowing that you gave it your all. Go to bed knowing that you laid everything you had, whether it was on the court, on the field, in your career, give it your all. So when it is time for you to go to bed, it is time for you to retire, knowing that you did not leave anything out there. You gave everything you got. Going back to Dwight Howard, he was the first overall pick in 2004 by the Orlando Magic. He was one of these guys that you would think being the first overall pick, oh, he's going to he's gonna win three or four championships. He's going to be a dominant big man. He's just going to have this tremendous NBA career. And he had a lot of that. A lot of that came true for him. He was an eight-time All-Star and a three-time NBA Defensive Player of the Year. But he had a lot of struggles in his NBA career. He had only been to the finals once, losing to the Los Angeles Lakers when he played back for the Orlando Magic. He ended up playing for six different franchises. One, he had a one-year stint with the Lakers back in 2012. When Dwight was kind of falling out of his prime, he was teaming up with the great Kobe Bryant and Steve Nash. That team was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, on the cover of ESPN, was projected to be this great Lakers team, bring the Lakers back, but it just didn't pan out. Dwight Howard and Kobe clashed heads, and it was a brief stint for Dwight only playing with the team for one year. But Dwight Howard ended up getting his long-awaited NBA championship with this team, and he had to persevere. He had to change up. When he played for the Orlando Magic, he was the guy averaging 20 points a game, 14 rebounds. He was that guy where you give the ball to when it's winning time. But when he was with this Lakers team, Dwight Howard kind of had to take a back seat, had to adjust to this new rule. And for him, it ultimately ended up paying off. Unfortunately for him, it took 16 years to get his NBA championship. But as they always say, better late than never. I mean, there's a lot of great NBA players that never win a ring. But the reason why I relate this to this whole perseverance idea with Dwight Howard is because when I was a young kid, we would we would go boating, we would go wakeboarding and all this stuff. And I was eight or 10 years old, just trying wakeboarding for the first time. It was tough. I couldn't get up. I couldn't ride the wakeboard essentially I would fall as soon as the boat would leave like take off I couldn't I just ultimately couldn't give up I kept persevering I didn't give up like my dad always said and I ultimately got up on the wakeboard was able to do a couple tricks and it was all good but lastly I'm gonna throw this full circle real quick and how my dad had me preaching to never give up when I was a young kid and we look at these NBA players and we see them as these role models, as these people we watch on TV, these people that make millions of dollars, these people that live these luxurious lifestyles. And we have our personal lives to where we're grinding in college. We're grinding to get what we have in a different way. But these people, these NBA players are preaching the same things. Never give up. Always give it your all. 
you just have to trust in it, believe in yourself, and ultimately just shoot for the stars, and you will not regret your decisions. Yeah, first yeah. of all, a great story. I mean, we've all been there. I mean, there's so many times where I was just like, I need to give up. I'm done. I need to quit sports. My body can't take it anymore. But there comes a point where you're just like, I need to keep doing this. And I, it's like a mindset that you have to put yourself through. And I mean, with Dwight Howard, yes, a lot of people like there, there shouldn't even be a debate whether Dwight Howard should be in the Hall of Fame. Like he's in the Hall of Fame for me. I don't know about you, but he's in a Hall of Fame for me. He's had an up and down career. Like he said, and when he moved to those six teams, it was all in like a six year span too. So he had to persevere through a lot. So um, yeah, Dwight Howard is an amazing player. He's showed that he can transform his body. He'll do anything to win a championship. And he finally got it this year. It's super inspiring. Um, just like with probably what your dad said, I mean, We've all been there. We don't want to give up. Um, some are more willing to give up. I know with a lot of people, they're willing to give up on sports or willing to give up on their true passion because somebody tells them, yeah, it's not going to work out for you. It's not your thing. But what do you have to say to those kind of people that are being told to give up, but they shouldn't? Um, I'd say to them, do whatever makes you happy. If someone says you can't do it, prove them wrong. I mean, there's always going to be people doubting you. There's always going to be haters. Michael Jordan didn't, wasn't a varsity player on his high school basketball team until I believe the ju his junior year. I'm sure there's a bunch of NBA players that say, uh, that were told when they were young, oh, this dream of making it to the NBA, there's only a less than 1% chance. You'll never make it. Why don't you just give up and go to school or why don't you work to help out this family? But ultimately, they, they, stuck to the grind they put in the work and they got rewarded so I mean I ultimately just say whatever makes you happy do that and I mean it's your life to live so it's your decisions yeah I totally agree with you there's always going to be haters you guys and that's just like the main thing there's always going to be somebody in your there's always like the angel on one shoulder and you know the devil on one shoulder whether that's your conscious or somebody telling you that you cannot do something that's your opportunity to prove that you can so I really liked your story and thanks for sharing. I mean, yeah, I think everybody needs to understand and learn about that kind of stuff, so. I appreciate it, but uh, that sounds like it's gonna, this is gonna wrap up our Wednesday edition of the Double Double here on KLJX LP Flagstaff. Thank you to my co-host, Casey Everett. I'm Chad Piper signing out. See you next week. Later. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back and thank you for tuning in to the Wednesday edition of the Double Double here on KLJ's LP Flagstaff. I'm your host, Chad Piper, alongside my co-host, Casey Everett. And we have our two usual guests with us, Noah and Cooper. How are you guys doing today? Doing pretty good, Chad. Are you? Doing well, doing well. So we wrapped up the last segment, wrapping up the NBA Finals. Congratulations to the Lakers, doing it for Kobe. Hats off to LeBron, winning his fourth NBA Finals and fourth Finals MVP. And then we talked a little bit about NBA free agency that is coming up in December. But moving on to that, moving over to the National Football League. And this past weekend, we had a tragic injury to one of the top quarterbacks in the league, one of these rising stars who has really kind of taken his game to the next level this season, Dak Prescott. He had a compound fracture in his ankle. He's going to be out for the remainder of the season, four to six months. 
he had to be carted off. The injury was gruesome. They had to blur it on TV. It just, it was a sad situation. I mean, a guy that was leading the league in passing yards, he's still leading the league after missing this half of this last game. But starting with you, Cooper, do you think this injury for Dak and with him being on this, he was franchise tag this year, so he's on a one-year deal and how he was wanting so much money in the offseason and wanting that extension. Do you think this might cost him from getting an extension from the Cowboys? Like, how do you see this might be playing out? Um, I honestly think this kind of gives Dak a little bit of leverage with Cowboys. I mean, you saw the Cowboys, and they were super willing to give him a deal. It was just – I thought it was a little ludicrous that he turned down the deals that they did offer him. Um, but that's not saying that like, oh, just because he turned down those big deals, it's not going to be like, all right, well, the Cowboys are saying, okay, we're done with you. And especially if he comes back from this uh, and it just like, yeah, like you said on TV, like they blurted it out. If he comes back from this and they, and they see that he's still the league passer, even after missing half the game, I think the Cowboys are still going to want him. And I feel like Dak is still going to be kind of control of this whole deal signing. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be one amazing story if he can come back from this injury. And I believe Jerry Jones was saying post-game how if there's anyone who can do it, they believe Dak can. So I, I definitely hope this gives Dak – I think he'll get an extension. But, I mean, for him to ask for $40 million a year like he was in the offseason, I mean, there's only really a couple quarterbacks such as Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, or Patrick Mahomes that are kind of worth that money. But throwing it over to you, Noah, how do you see this situation kind of playing out for Dak and his uh, future contract? You know, it's tough seeing such a really a really talented young player coming up in the NFL, such as Dak, uh, coming off a career high of, uh, of yards at a little bit over 500 in his last game and going into the next, hoping to add on to that um, all-time record, possibly even, he was chasing. Um, and to see him go down with an injury like that, I feel it's, it's really tough. Um, after seeing what he's been doing so far this season, I really can't see the Cowboys just dumping him like that. I think slapping him into a, in a co into a coaching job or trying to help Sam Darnold see what he can do, see if he can give him some tips on how to use the explosive offense that the that the Cowboys have. Uh, I think they just have they're going to have to incorporate him in some way, and so I, I see them at least using his knowledge. For the rest of this upcoming season, if he's able to um, show up to the games, um, and then I, I do see them giving him an, a, a contract, uh, hopefully after his injury recovery. Yeah, and like you said, he was on pace to break that season record of most passing yards. He was on pace to crush it by a landslide after his first couple games. And like you mentioned, their backup quarterback Andy Dolan. I mean, it was kind of amazing that they did go out and sign him in the off season for. Who knows a situation like this so it definitely helps that they made that Don came in the game led that game-winning drive game-winning field goal ended up being the Giants by three on a game-winning field goal from Greg Zerline but passing it over to you Casey what do you think of um, how the situation is going to lay out for Dak it's an interesting situation because being hurt for that long it depends on what the Cowboys are looking forward for next season or the season after that in the season after that, especially giving them that much money. So if they're in a position where they know they can make a run and if Pre if Dak can get healthy and he can be the quarterback that he's known for being, especially as of late, then I think like it all depends on his recovery. And 
if he can get back up to that those standards or even close, then I think they will give him the extension. But it's hard to say right now just because we don't know how the recovery is going to go. We don't know what the Cowboys' future is looking like right now. So I think there's a lot of factors going into it. But if he can get healthy, I think, and he's showing a lot of progress and can make a return, then he should get the extension. Yeah, there's definitely a bunch of what-ifs in the air. I mean, this is no injury to be taken lightly. It was, as we said, it was gruesome, had to be blocked out on national television. They even blocked it on ESPN, blocked it out on all the sports talk shows. So you just know it's something to not take lightly. And you can just hope that can come out of it, be the player he was and get back on the field soon. But Cooper, starting with you, how do you think this uh, impacts the NFC East moving forward? Um, I honestly think that like, yeah, it's like a big loss and everything. And this definitely closes the gap between all the teams, but I still think this is the Cowboys division to win. I mean, you see like, like the whole NFC East is kind of ridiculous right now. No one has over two wins. Um, the next best like teams are like Washington and the Eagles. So, and if, if Carson Wentz keeps just throwing picks every single game and Washington still is Washington, I honestly think the Cowboys are going to end up winning it. Now, will this be a year where this division has a winner with a losing record? I think it's possible, but they'll, I think the Cowboys are going to end up winning this division. Yeah, I also agree with you. That's definitely the Cowboys division to lose. I mean, Eagles still can't have – any of their receivers healthy for like the third straight year Washington they just benched their starting quarterback their young second year quarterback first year head coach and we all know the Giants are just terrible whatever dumpster fire they got going on there lost their best player and all that but Noah throwing it over to you um how do you see this division laying out after this injury yeah I think both you and Cooper spelled it out pretty pretty obviously um Washington having their quarterback troubles that they have been trying to figure that situation out while sitting one and three. It's going to be tough to try to bring the whole season back after kind of a pretty rough start. Um, Eagles, of course, sitting on top of the division. I see that lasting for very long either. Um, Cowboys, for sure. I think even with that Dak Prescott injury, definitely still have a, a very good chance to, to win this division. Um, they're again just going back to their offensive power other than Dak uh, with their receivers Gallup Cooper uh, CD Lamb who's been really showing up recently um, I feel like putting an experienced quarterback like they have in Andy uh, back into that that uh, process is really going to help them climb their way to the top of this division and probably end up winning it yeah they, they definitely have the most talent on paper I mean their defense has been atrocious through the first five weeks you you would think if they can get a little get a little momentum on defense, the offense can carry them to some wins, and they should win at least four or five of the six divisional games versus their opponents. I mean, this this division is just atrocious. But throwing it over to you, Casey, who do, how do you see this division laying out? Yeah, like you just said, this division is just god awful right now. Just looking at it, no, like we've all said, nobody has a winning record. It's just awful right now. Um, I think the Cowboys still are going to end up on top just because, like you said, they do have the better team on paper. If they get their defense situated, then they'll be fine. But overall, it's just kind of disappointing the NFC East at this point. But, yeah, I think the Cowboys are definitely going to be on top of this one. 
Yeah, it's almost like they should just uh, rename it like the NFC least or something. Like, I mean, these teams are god awful. Like, no one wants to watch them. They have the least wins out of all the divisions. I mean, it's just atrocious. But um, speaking hypothetical here for a second, say Dak is – say this injury turns out to be career-ending. And, Casey, I'll start with you on this one. Say this injury kind of is career-ending. Dak isn't able to get on the field, isn't able to get that ankle back to 100%, isn't able to play football, unfortunately, ever again. What would you want to see out of the Cowboys organization – in a way to kind of take care of Dak Prescott? Or would you just say, hey, you can't help us, you kick him to the curb? I think they'll do something with him. They they obviously like him. So if he does end up having a career-ending injury, they'll do something with him, compensation, coaching jobs, something in the organization just to make him still feel a part of football. Going through an injury like that, nobody wants to see it. You never want to go through it. So... I think moving forward, if he can't play ever again, which would be sad to see and hear that the, the Cowboys will take care of him and do something for him. Yeah, I totally agree. It definitely seems like him and Jerry Jones, it's kind of like uh, big brother, little brother, like this is my dad. He kind of has taken him under his wing. He loves Dak. He wants to keep him in that America's team colors, have that star on his helmet, all that. But uh, throwing it over to you, Cooper, what would you want to see out of the Cowboys if this situation were to pan out like that? Um, yeah, like I honestly see them keeping like Dak like on for like coaching staff or something. And even with like what Noah was saying, like if the Jets get the number one first pick this year, they're going to get a different quarterback, even though I really don't think that's the problem. And I think Sam Darnold could end up over there and I feel like Dak would be a really good like guy to look up to like of like with Sam Darnold to like look up to like I just think that like combo of a team and then like Darnold in that offense with like the leadership of Dak uh in that room I honestly think that would be kind of a scary offense to see yeah it would I mean I totally agree with you Darno is not the problem in New York I mean New York they have so many issues that just let go. Jamal Adams in this offseason, one of the best safeties in the league. They just released Le'Veon Bell, I believe it was yesterday. Um, they just they just have so many coaching and management issues up there that I don't think anyone's bound to succeed in that organization. But over to you, Noah. How would you want to see the Cowboys kind of go about the situation if it were to go down where Dak could never play again? Yeah, obviously be tough, really big blow to the organization seeing him come up and really show that he can fill that role as the starting quarterback of, of America's team, Cowboys, you know. So, again, if if Andy Dalton can in can replace him or if in some way if Dak can kind of show him, like, because he really does show that he has a very good understanding of the game. Prescott, obviously, he has great uh, second-half game comebacks because he just knows what's got to be done. Um, so like Cooper was saying, bringing Sam Darnold in even, if, if the Andy thing doesn't work out, really could show to, to boost the Cowboys back to what they possibly could be uh, if Dak didn't receive this season-ending injury. So, Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I don't in no way think this is a career-end injury. I haven't read anything about career-ending injury this, that this could be. But, I mean, you never know. 
but I definitely would hope to see that the Cowboys would take care of him, maybe be a quarterback's coach, maybe future offensive coordinator, do something in the game. You've played at the highest level, played in the SEC, played for the Cowboys quarterback for a couple of years. So you definitely would want to see him get something out of it if he were never to be able to return. But that is going to wrap up this first segment here on the Double Double. We'll be right back after this break. <laughs> 